everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Alyssa Bustamante. So Alyssa Bustamante, you may have heard of her before. It is a pretty well-known case but Alyssa, she was a very troubled individual. She'd gone through a few rough things in her childhood. She struggled a lot with her mental health. And then as she entered her teenage years, she completely started to rebel. She became a nightmare for her family. She developed some questionable interests and she posted some very concerning things online. And she also wrote some incredibly disturbing fantasies in her diary. And in the end, this all led to Alyssa committing an absolutely terrible act. One which would send shockwaves through her small community and one which also led people to ask, how dangerous could Alyssa Bustamante possibly become? And that is what we are going to be talking about today. So let's dive in. Alyssa Bustamante was born on the 28th of January 1994 and she was an Aquarius which is our second Aquarius case in a row and she grew up in California with her parents and her three younger siblings. Now growing up Alyssa came from a very dysfunctional family. She was exposed to a hell of a lot at a very young age and this ultimately had a very significant impact on the rest of her life. So Alyssa's parents who were Caesar and Michelle they were apparently cousins by marriage. And by the time Michelle gave birth, Michelle was only 15 years old. So she was a very, very, very young mom. She was a child herself, a child giving birth to another child and then expected to almost become a parent and become an adult at only 15 years old. And then on top of that, both of Alyssa's parents, Caesar and Michelle from a very young age, we're talking like 15 kind of age. They were heavy drug users and we're talking quite heavy drugs. They did have marijuana, but we're talking heavy drugs. We're talking they were both addicted to crystal meth. We all know, well, I'm sure most of you know, but crystal meth, it screws people up. It it really just changes your personality. But basically after Alyssa was born, her parents, all they cared about was drugs. All they cared about is getting high. Where is their next fix going to come from? They never actually cared about Alyssa. So Alyssa, as a young, tiny baby, she never from day one had a stable home. Eventually, after a couple of years, Alyssa's grandparents, who were a couple called Gary and Karen, they were Michelle's parents, by the way, they kind of stepped in because they could see that Alyssa, she wasn't being raised properly. So Gary and Karen bought the family a trailer to live in. So at least they had a home, a roof over their head. They would send the family money so Alyssa could be fed. Bills could be paid. They also tried their hardest to support their daughter, Michelle, and try to get her off drugs, try to get her to be the parent that she needed to be to Alyssa. And initially it worked. Caesar and Michelle, they kind of cleaned up their act. They got everything together. They started to actually be parents to Alyssa. And by the time Alyssa was six years old, Michelle went on to have two more children. She had twins and things were kind of normal. They were living as kind of a functional family, but as soon as the twins were born, and they had twin boys, by the way, as soon as the twins were born, both parents just turned to drugs again. And pretty much instantly, things fell apart once again. But this time, it was worse because Caesar, he was obviously now back on meth. He turned into a very volatile and violent person, and he actually started 
physically abusing Michelle. And he was physically abusing her in front of the children. And Alyssa is like six, seven years old at this point. She is aware of what is going on. She is witnessing this abuse with her own eyes, which is abuse in itself. This is not the kind of environment that any child should be in. And shortly after this, the exact details are not known, but Alyssa's dad, Caesar, ended up getting arrested and charged with felony assault. And he was sent to prison for 10 years. So that is pretty extreme. I don't know what he did, but he must have been pretty serious. And as soon as Caesar was sent to prison, Alyssa's mom, Michelle, her life fell apart even more because now she was a single parent and she was still addicted to drugs and she couldn't afford to live because all of her money went on drugs. She also received various criminal convictions for possession of drugs and drunk driving. Her drug addiction just started to get worse and worse. It was spiraling even more out of control. She ended up sleeping around quite a lot and she fell pregnant from this and she gave birth to a little girl called Emma who would now be Alyssa's half-sister and things were really just going from bad to worse. They really were. So now following the birth of the fourth child, Emma, the grandparents, Gary and Karen, they stepped in once more. They couldn't bear the thought of their four grandchildren living in conditions like this. They really tried to help Michelle because Caesar, who was the violent, abusive partner, he is now in prison. You know, he is out of the picture. They were really hoping that Michelle, with just their little support, could get back on her feet, be a good parent to her four children and everything would be okay. However, that was not the case. Michelle, she didn't have any other interest apart from drugs. She actually started dating a drug dealer. It's like, can this environment get any worse for those four children. Michelle would actually just disappear for days on end with this drug dealer, leaving her four children at home. And Alyssa, being the oldest sibling, had to look after her younger siblings. She is still so incredibly young. Like I said, talking six, seven years old at this point, and she is looking after three younger children. And the situation went on like this for a couple of years. So Alyssa is now eight or nine years old, and she really is becoming very aware of the situation of her mom, what she's doing, who she's dating. And Alyssa would just find her mom on the sofa, passed out from an overdose. Alyssa would have to do the best that she could as an eight or nine-year-old to clean up the trailer, to look after her siblings, but also be worried and concerned about her mom. That is not a role that Alyssa should have. And Alyssa's grandparents, they would come and visit her and they were just absolutely appalled by the environment that they were all living in because this trailer, it was a mess. And can you just imagine how dirty and unhygienic this trailer was? with four children. And then obviously Alyssa's mom, Michelle, and she's obviously taking drugs. God knows what is lying around this trailer. And the children were not doing great at all because Alyssa's younger twin brothers, they were now currently three years old. They were just completely out of control because for three years, which is their whole life at this point, they have had no parents. They have had no structure, no love, no attention, no discipline. And they were completely out of control. And they were so angry. They would punch holes in the wall of the trailer as three-year-olds. Let that sink in. That is not normal behavior. I know they're three years old and they can throw tantrums, but to punch holes in walls as three-year-olds, that's not normal. And the grandparents had tried to help out as much as they could, but they realized that they needed to intervene. They needed to do more. So they went to the authorities. They reported what was going on. And finally, when Alyssa was nine years old, all four children were taken away from Michelle and placed in the custody of their grandparents. So now all four children are living with their grandparents and they're still living in California, but the grandparents, they think to themselves, these four children have been through 
through so much. They need a fresh start. They need a clean slate. They need to start over. They don't want to be in the same area with bad memories. So this is when they decide to leave California and move to a very small town called St. Martin's in Missouri. And they moved into this nice little farmhouse. It had plenty of land. And this is where the rest of today's case takes place. And when they moved, they were really hoping that the move would be good for Alyssa because her being the oldest, she has seen the most trauma. She has been through so much, taken on so much responsibility. They were really hoping that it would do her good. However, it didn't because Alyssa, she was out of control. And I think we can all understand where that comes from given the upbringing that she has had so far. But as soon as they move, her behavior, her moods, everything just got so much worse. First of all, Alyssa was so angry, like so, so angry. She had so much rage in her and she actually was very angry at her grandparents. The very two people that have tried to support her her whole life and the two people that have saved her from the really bad situation that she was just in. But she, as a child, she's only nine. She was so angry at her grandparents because she blamed them for breaking up her family. And she would constantly rebel and she would throw tantrums. And she's nine years old and she would throw tantrums like a three, four-year-old. Which I suppose you can kind of understand because even though she is nine years old, she probably hasn't emotionally developed as a nine-year-old. Does that make sense? And that probably is not the right terminology or anything, but she has been through so much and she hasn't really had a parent. She hasn't had love and support her whole life. So she doesn't know how to deal with her emotions. Just like a two, three, four-year-old can't really deal with their emotions and they throw tantrums like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. But in public, Alyssa would just scream and shout and she would throw herself on the floor and start punching things and kicking things. You can just imagine it, can't you? And she was also completely closed off. She never talked to her grandparents. She never opened up to them. Alyssa's grandparents knew that she had been through a lot and they also knew that she had experienced some very bad things before the age of seven but they didn't actually know what those bad things were and that could be anything it really could all her grandparents knew is that she had been through a lot and whatever she had gone through that they didn't know about it was causing her a lot of stress it was a lot of trauma and she wasn't talking about anything Alyssa also had a huge distrust of adults she was very very paranoid she felt like she couldn't trust anyone around her. And then after a few years, when Alyssa is 13 years old, her mom, Michelle, appears back in her life. Michelle had cleaned herself up and she had come to stay with her parents and her children in Missouri. And Alyssa was so excited about this. She was over the moon. For the first time in a very long time, Alyssa was happy because Alyssa believed that her family was finally going to be back together. But after only a few days, Michelle went back on drugs and she just disappeared from their lives again. She didn't even bother to say bye. She literally just disappeared. And to say that Alyssa was heartbroken would be an understatement. She felt like her dream 
had just been shattered. And I think it was at this moment when Alyssa was 13 years old that she finally realized that her mom would never really be in her life. Her mom was never going to be there for her and she would never be able to rely on her. And this all became too much for Alyssa. And sadly, at the age of just 13, Alyssa tried to take her own life by consuming a whole bottle of Tylenol. And thankfully, her grandparents found her before any damage could be done and she was rushed to hospital and her stomach was pumped. And this is when Alyssa's grandparents decided that they needed professional help. And they took Alyssa to see a mental health specialist. And following this, at the age of 13, Gary and Karen were told that their granddaughter Alyssa was suffering with depression and also possibly bipolar disorder. So they decided to treat Alyssa with 20 milligrams of Prozac. So Alyssa is now a teenager. She soon starts to attend high school and she was making lots of friends. She was getting good grades because she was so intelligent. She started attending church with her grandparents every single Sunday, which was an LDS church. She was also very involved with her church, getting involved in lots of activities and just everything like that. And on the outside, it seemed like Alyssa was happy. But on the inside, that was not the case. She was still struggling so much. She struggled to get out of bed every single day. She struggled to go to school. She struggled to do her homework. She had no motivation to live life. And trigger warning, we are briefly going to talk about self-harm. Because it was at this point that Alyssa started cutting herself. Her grandparents discovered hundreds of cuts all over her arms. Alyssa had also used a knife to carve out the words hate and pain into her arms. She would also try and carve out drawings in her arms. And this is something that Alyssa would do throughout her teenage years. It was a regular thing. She just wanted to feel something because she felt nothing inside. So following this, a couple of things happened that would really define Alyssa's teenage years. So first of all, she started to get involved with, some sources said goth culture, some sources said emo culture. So I, I don't know. And also this was like 2007, maybe. I feel like everyone kind of went through an emo phase, apart from me. I feel like I'm the only person that didn't go through an emo phase. But Alyssa, she started dressing completely different. She started wearing like darker or black clothes. She changed the style of her hair. She had that signature like swoop fringe going on across her forehead. She started wearing like a lot of eyeliner. She was listening to different music than what she did prior. And then as we enter 2009, nine, something pretty significant happened. And that was social media. Social media was really starting to take off in 2008. It was starting to become more like widely used by everyone, which is so crazy when you think about it. You can't even imagine a world without social media now. Alyssa created herself a MySpace, good old MySpace, um, Twitter, Facebook. She also created a YouTube channel and she started interacting with people that had similar interests to her. But this is when she started posting some pretty disturbing things, some things that definitely concerned people. And some people have even said that what she posted was a cry for help. On Twitter, she would talk about pain and depression. She would tweet things like, quote, this is all I want in life, a reason for all the pain. She also listed her location as, quote, somewhere I don't want to be. On her Facebook profile, she would post photos of her scars from self-harming. She also posted a picture of herself wearing red lipstick that was kind of smudged that she wanted people to think was blood. She was also pointing to her head with fingers in the shape of a gun. She was also posting similar things on her MySpace. And then on her YouTube profile, under her hobbies, she wrote cutting and 
killing people. And understandably, a lot of people found this very disturbing. And obviously, in hindsight, it's like, yep, this is worrying, this is concerning. And that's the thing, in hindsight, it looks disturbing. But at the time, she was a teenager. She was into emo, goth culture. Is she just trying to be a teenager? She wants to rebel and she just wants to say something for shock value. Teenagers do this. They say things that they don't mean for shock value, to rebel against authority, blah, blah, blah. And then there's one thing that Alyssa did, which I personally think gets overanalyzed way too much. So she posted a video on her YouTube channel and the video was called Idiots Getting Electrocuted by Electric Fence. And in the YouTube video, Alyssa can be seen messing around with her younger twin brothers and she lives on a farm and there's an electric fence around her land. And she can be seen in this video holding onto the fence, clearly getting electrocuted. And then she encourages her younger twin brothers to also touch the fence. And in the aftermath of this case, when Alyssa's crimes became public, this video resurfaced and people were saying, oh my God, this girl is so sadistic. She clearly wants to harm her younger brothers. It is so obvious that she would become a killer. There were even psychologists on the news analyzing Alyssa's behavior in this video and they said that Alyssa was clearly messed up and that she very clearly enjoys inflicting pain on others. And yes, in hindsight, knowing what she goes on to do, it is very easy to say things like that. But when you watch the video in isolation, just watch the video. Does this actually look like a girl that is sadistic? Does it actually look like a teenager that clearly enjoys inflicting pain on others? Or does it just look like a sibling pranking and messing around with their younger siblings? Because I personally, think it looks like the latter. But this video seems kind of harmless to me. I don't know. And I've never lived on a farm, okay? But I did see people online talking about this video that did live on a farm growing up. And they would say, as kids, they would always do this as well. So I definitely think people are overanalyzing this clip of Alyssa on YouTube and blowing it completely out of proportion. But even if that was harmless, as we progress further into 2009, Alyssa's behavior was getting more and more concerning and and just worse. She started to speak more about violence, how she wanted to hurt somebody else. She was also self-harming a lot more. There were self-inflicted bite marks on her arms, as well as self-inflicted cigarette burns. Apparently, at Alyssa's own birthday party, she expressed to a friend that she wanted to know what it was like to kill someone. She literally said that she wondered what it would be like to watch the life drain out of someone. She wondered what it would feel like to have that much power over someone. And this did disturb her friends. Of course it did. There was another time when Alyssa was on the school bus and she was just wandering aloud, like to the bus, saying that she wanted to shoot a classmate. She also expressed in her diary that she wanted to burn down a house with all of the occupants inside. In another entry of her diary, she wrote, quote, if I don't talk about it, I bottle it up. And when I explode, someone is going to die. So it's very clear that Alyssa has some anger problems, 100%. 
percent. And just because she's saying these things doesn't necessarily mean she means them. And I'm not a child psychologist or anything like that, but I just feel like this is where you need to get her help. This is where maybe things could have turned out differently. And as time was going on, Alyssa was becoming an angrier person. She would just fly off the handle at the smallest thing. And someone that she would get angry at a lot was her younger sister, Emma. Her younger sister is only six years old and Alyssa would be so mean to her sometimes. She would even hit her at times. And this is when Alyssa's grandparents did step in and thought, we can't have this anymore. We actually need to get her more help. Alyssa can't just go around making threats, hitting people, saying that she wants to kill people and think it's normal. So in the beginning of October 2009, this is when they went back to the doctor and expressed all of this. And they weren't provided with much advice on what to do, how to help her, maybe how to communicate with her better. The only thing that happened was she was currently on 20 milligrams of Prozac. All the doctor did was put her up to 40 milligrams of Prozac. And that was it, which there's nothing wrong with medication, not at all, but I just feel like Alyssa maybe needs to talk to somebody, like a specialist, she needs therapy. I don't know if it's the best idea just to put her on a stronger dosage of her medication and then just wave goodbye and not help her anymore. The doctor did express that because they were increasing the dosage of her medication, that there might be some side effects, that her negative thoughts might be worse, that she might be a little bit more volatile, she might have mood swings, but eventually it will all level out. In about a month, everything should be okay. However, sadly, within that one month, tragedy would happen. An absolutely horrific tragedy that would rock St. Martin's Missouri to the core. So now we get to the 21st of October 2009. On this day, Alyssa was in the front yard with her younger sister, Emma, the sister that she was always so mean to. And the two girls were out playing together. And for some reason, some strange reason, Alyssa turned to her sister, Emma, and said, why don't you get your neighbor friend, Elizabeth, to come out and play with us? Now, this was a very strange request for a number of reasons. One, Alyssa had never gotten along with Elizabeth prior to this moment. So why all of a sudden does she want to hang out with Elizabeth? Two, Elizabeth is a lot younger than Alyssa. Elizabeth is six years younger than Alyssa. Alyssa and Elizabeth never had anything in common either. Elizabeth was Emma's friend. She was also the neighbor. Why all of a sudden does Alyssa want to hang out with Elizabeth? But Emma, she's only six years old at this point. She doesn't really have that thought process that we have just had. Emma just thinks, great, my sister and my friend, we're going to all hang out and have a good time. So Emma goes to Elizabeth's house, which is only four doors down. She knocks on the door to see if Elizabeth wants to come out and play. But what poor young Emma didn't know is that her going to get her good friend Elizabeth out to play would end up in tragedy. So Elizabeth Alton, who was Emma's neighbour and good friend, she was nine years old. So she was three years older than Emma, but they were still kind of close in age. So they were really good friends. And she was living four doors down in St. Martin's, Missouri. Now, Elizabeth is described as such a sweet, caring, lovely young girl. She loved animals, especially horses. She really loved music as well, especially her favorite artist, Taylor Swift. She also liked Miley Cyrus as well, Hannah Montana. She loved spending time with her friends and her family. And she especially loved spending time with her mom. They would play dress up and they would bake cookies. And right now, Elizabeth is a student in the fourth grade at the elementary school. And she was so brave. 
great. She enjoyed school so much. And currently she was so excited because she had literally just landed a role in the school play. And she was so excited about being in the school play, about being on stage. So on the 21st of October, 2009, it was around 5 p.m. when Emma knocks on the door to ask if Elizabeth wants to go out to play. Like I said, the two girls, Emma and Elizabeth, were three years apart, but they were neighbors. They got on. They were quite close. They would always play together. So this wasn't unusual. However, it was autumn and it's 5 p.m., which means that it's getting dark. And Elizabeth's mom, Patty, was concerned about this. She didn't want her daughter playing out in the dark. But in the end, the two girls pleaded with Patty. And seeing as the two girls played together all the time safely in the neighborhood, Patty gave in and said Elizabeth could play outside as long as she was back by 6 p.m. So the two girls go out playing and Patty goes back to her evening routine. She is preparing dinner whilst also caring for Elizabeth's other siblings. And then 6 p.m. rolls around. The two girls, Emma and Elizabeth, were playing outside for about an hour, but now it's 6 p.m. Elizabeth needs to go home. So Elizabeth and Emma went their separate ways and Elizabeth started walking home, which was only four doors away. However, 6.30 rolls by and there's a huge problem because Elizabeth still isn't home. It literally would take her a minute, two minutes tops, to walk home. And Patty is starting to really panic. The sun was starting to set and she was so concerned about her daughter Elizabeth because Elizabeth was terrified of the dark. So she tried calling Elizabeth's cell phone to ask her, where are you? Come home. Dinner's on the table. But Elizabeth did not answer. And at this point, the panic really started to set in. Patty just had this feeling that something wasn't right. She started to fear the worst. So because Elizabeth is not answering her cell phone, Patty goes over to the Booster Mon household thinking that Elizabeth might just be at Emma's house. You know, an innocent explanation. So Patty starts banging on the door of the Bustamante household and eventually Emma and her grandmother Karen answer the door. Patty is pretty frantic. She's like, have you seen Elizabeth? Is Elizabeth there? And this is when Karen says to Patty that Elizabeth is not at her home. She has no idea where Elizabeth is. The two women turn to Emma, who was the last person to see Elizabeth. They turn to Emma and say, what happened? Where is Elizabeth, to which Emma said at 6pm the two girls parted ways and Elizabeth walked home. Emma saw her walking down the road towards her home and this makes Patty go into an even bigger panic because it's like where could her daughter be? They literally live four doors apart. So she immediately calls the police and the police are there so quickly and they start searching the local area. Now the area that they live in, St. Martin's, is such a small town. Only approximately a thousand people live there. So the news that Elizabeth was missing spread very quickly. And it wasn't long until pretty much every single person in that town was out looking for Elizabeth. And people were thinking, is she lost? Did she get hurt in some kind of way walking home? I mean, there is a woodland area by their home. Did for some reason she walk through the woods and get injured? I think that is what people were really hoping happened. And then obviously people were thinking the worst. Was she taken by a predator? The search continued throughout that night. Literally nobody stopped looking for Elizabeth but she was still nowhere to be seen. So the search continues on into the next day and the police widen their search and the FBI are called in. There are helicopters in the air, search dogs, divers were brought in to search the 
local rivers and ponds, but still Elizabeth was nowhere to be seen. They also questioned every single registered sex offender in the area, thinking that one of them could have taken Elizabeth. However, this led nowhere. There was no evidence to suggest that she had been taken by a local sex offender. Elizabeth did have a mobile phone and they were able to track her mobile from it pinging off cell towers. However, Elizabeth's mobile phone died, which means that it couldn't be tracked anymore and it was coming up to the 24 hour mark and the police were literally running out of answers. It was literally like Elizabeth had vanished off the face of the earth. The police are starting to fear the worst so they decide to go back to the drawing board. They decide to go right back to the beginning and that was Emma, the six-year-old girl who was the last person to see Elizabeth. So they bring Emma in for questioning but obviously she's only six years old so she is interviewed by a specialist child counsellor and they asked her to walk them through every single thing that happened yesterday, every single detail, do not leave anything out. So Emma just repeated what she had already said to the police that her and Elizabeth were out playing, they were playing for about an hour and then it was 6pm and the two girls parted ways and Elizabeth walked home. However, Emma starts to give details that she never gave the prior day because Emma revealed to the police that after the two girls parted ways and Elizabeth walked home, Emma actually stayed out. She wanted to play a little bit longer outside but she was on her own. She played outside on her own and when she was playing on her own, this is when she fell into some bushes and as soon as she fell into the bushes, she got caught in the thorns and she hurt herself and she couldn't get herself free. So she started screaming for help but no one could hear Emma but then suddenly after a few minutes, Alyssa appeared out of nowhere just at the edge of the woodland area by their home. Alyssa could hear her sister screaming and had come to help her out. So Alyssa went over to Emma and helped her out of the bushes and once Emma was free from the bushes and she had calmed down, she noticed that there was blood on the trousers that Alyssa was wearing. Emma, immediately becoming concerned for her older sister, she thought her older sister was her and she said, Alyssa, what's wrong? Why are you bleeding? To which Alyssa just brushed her off very calmly and said, oh, that's nothing. I've just started my period. Alyssa also said to Emma, don't tell anyone about this. So Emma never did tell anyone about the blood until 24 hours later when she was being interviewed by the police. However, this wasn't the only new bit of information that was suspicious that came out in this interview. Emma also revealed that it was Alyssa's idea in the first place to get Elizabeth to come out and play, which was very strange. But it wasn't just that. There was one final piece of damning information that came out in that interview. Emma revealed that she wasn't actually with Elizabeth for that one hour that they were supposed to be playing together. Emma wasn't even with Elizabeth. At some point when the girls were playing outside, Alyssa told Emma to go home so that Alyssa and Elizabeth could play alone. And this is when Emma was playing outside on her own. And this was all while Elizabeth and Alyssa went off together. And Emma didn't see Alyssa again until she fell into the bushes and Alyssa all of a sudden appeared at the side of the woodland area. And then if you remember, Alyssa told Emma not to tell anyone. And especially after hearing that last bit of information, the police were like, okay, we need to look into Alyssa 
Bustamante. They start by looking into Alyssa's movements on the 21st of October 2009. And the first significant thing that they noticed is that on this day, Alyssa had skipped school. And when investigators asked Alyssa why she had skipped school, Alyssa just said, oh, I was just being a rebel. I was just hanging with my friends. But that was not true whatsoever. Alyssa actually went to do something much darker and sinister on that day. Not that the investigators knew right now. But take note of the fact that she skipped school because this will come back up what she actually did on that day. They also look at Alyssa's movements leading up to the disappearance of Elizabeth Alton and they discover that Alyssa had made a phone call to none other than Elizabeth Alton and this phone call had been placed at 6pm the previous day, the exact time that Elizabeth went missing. Investigators believe that this was enough information to keep digging into Alyssa because this was all just too strange. It was just too strange. It couldn't be coincidental. So they visit the Bustamante household and they talk to the grandmother Karen and they ask Karen if they can look in Alyssa's bedroom. Now the first thing that they notice is that it is a mess. There are clothes everywhere, rubbish everywhere, which is not exactly unusual for teenagers, is it? But what really shocked the police was that all over the walls were very strange writings and drawings. On one wall, there was this huge drawing that looked like an outline of a person. There were slash marks on the head and the arms of this person. And then next to this drawing was a name and that was Emma. On another wall, there was a poem that read, quote, I cut to see the blood because I like it. And next to the poem, it also looks like some of the words were outlined in actual blood. And then finally, on another wall, there were two lines written in big letters, which simply read, it was written in blood, it was written in blood. And when I was doing my research for this case, I noticed that the media put a lot of emphasis on these two lines. It was written in blood. It was written in blood. They were making a huge deal out of these words and saying that this shows that Alyssa is sadistic, that she's evil. And I'm not saying she isn't, okay? I want to make that very clear. However, I was watching a documentary on this case and I was watching it with my husband, Ashley. He tends to watch the documentaries on these cases with me. And I was watching one on this case. And he pointed out to me that those two lines were actually from a song that he used to listen to when he was younger. And the song is called It Was Written In Blood. And the band is Bring Me The Horizon. And that song was released in 2008, which is only one year before this case happened. And the song It Was Written In Blood contain those exact lines. And he played me the song and I think it's that song. I think it's the lyrics from that song because if you look at the writing on Alyssa's wall, you'll see that it says, it was written in blood. And then the next line is in capitals. It was written in blood as if someone is shouting at you. And that is literally what the song is like. And given that Alyssa was part of the goth emo scene, it is very likely that she knew who Bring Me The Horizon were and she possibly even liked them. And it is highly likely that those two lines are from a song. It is just so plausible that she listened to that song, liked it, related to it in some kind of way, and then just wrote the lyrics on her wall. Now, I'm not sitting here trying to excuse her terrible acts. I am really not. I just personally think that the media has completely blown this out of proportion and 
thinking about it, the other poem that was on her wall, which said, I cut to see the blood because I like it, they could be song lyrics as well. I don't know, but if they are song lyrics, let me know in the comments. I wouldn't be surprised if they were. But anyway, the police found all of this writing on the wall suspicious. And to be honest, what is suspicious is the fact that she has drawn a drawing of an outline of a purse on the wall and then put her sister's name next to it. That is suspicious. But something that they did find very suspicious in Alyssa's room, which is suspicious, is her diary. Because in that diary are some pretty disturbing entries. She spoke about how she wanted to kill somebody, how she wanted that much power over someone, that she wanted to see the life drain out of them, that she wanted to burn a house down with the occupants in. However, she also wrote an entry for the 21st of October 2009, which was the day that Elizabeth went missing. However, this entry in the diary was completely scribbled out. Alyssa had written a decent paragraph and then she clearly didn't want anyone to see what she had written so she completely scribbled it out and I'm talking going over the words repeatedly with pen so no one could read it. However the police could make out two words and that was throat and slit. The police were incredibly concerned about this scribbled out diary entry, so they sent the diary off to an examination lab to see if they could recover the entry beneath the scribbles. And take note of this, because this diary entry does come back up. However, the police decide that they have enough suspicious evidence that it was time to bring Alyssa Bustamante in for a more detailed questioning down at the police station. And this is where we get to the very disturbing interrogation of Alyssa Bustamante and the fate of Elizabeth Alton finally comes to light. So now we get to the morning of the 23rd of October 2009 and this is two days after Elizabeth went missing and this is when Alyssa is finally brought in for questioning and oh my god you actually can watch a lot of the interview online and it's uncomfortable to watch I will say that. So Alyssa goes into the interview room she's accompanied by her grandmother Karen, and the investigators slowly start to unravel what actually happened. They start by asking Alyssa what she was doing at the time Elizabeth went missing. And in the beginning of this interview, Alyssa is acting so casual. She's so nonchalant. She's trying to pretend that she doesn't know anything. I came home, all of us, night on the three, and I just hung out with her for a while. And then I went for a walk around five even her body language and i am no body language expert but her body language she's like leaning to the side she's just trying to act like she's got nothing to worry about no concern in the world because at this point Alyssa doesn't know what the investigators know so she's trying to act casual to not raise suspicion so Alyssa responds to that question and she just says oh, I was just hanging out in my room for a little while. I went outside for a walk. Uh, I was hanging out with my sister for a little bit, but then I ditched her because she's so annoying. And something that I did find quite suspicious in that interview is that she was very specific on times. Well, actually she wasn't. It, it was very weird. She was like, um, three, half three to four. I got back from school. Wait, all around three? No, four, three, three. Then it was like 4.30-ish, 
maybe five, I went for a walk. And then I went for a walk around five or maybe five, something like that. She was trying to act casual, like, oh, I don't know the exact time, but it was around this time. Do you understand what I mean? She's being loose with the time, but also specific on mentioning the times to not get in trouble. Does that make sense? Sometimes I don't quite know how to get what is in my brain out of my mouth. But Alyssa did say that at 6 p.m. she was in her room and this is when she heard Emma call out for help. She was very specific. I was in my room at 6 p.m., which of course is the time that Elizabeth went missing. I came back around 536 I went up in my room and I heard like yelling. So I went outside and like she was down in the like ditch area. She was stuck at the bushes. So I went down there and this is when Alyssa went out to Emma and helped her out of the bushes. And then this is when Emma saw the blood on Alyssa's trousers. And Alyssa came clean about all of this in the interview. Alyssa was like, I've just started my period. No big deal. She asked me why I was bleeding because, you know, I thought I was on my period. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, don't tell me about that. Alyssa, at this point, doesn't know that Emma has already been questioned by them. And Emma has confessed that Alyssa went out to play with Elizabeth on her own. So the investigators are listening to Alyssa saying all of this, but they know it's not true. However, they don't bring this up to Alyssa right now that Emma has already told them a different story. Instead, they reveal to Alyssa another suspicious discovery that they found in the woodland area. Because on their search of the woodland area looking for Elizabeth, they had come across some holes in the ground. And these were not just any kind of holes. No, these were holes that were dug in the shape of graves and they confront Alyssa about these holes and they were expecting Alyssa to deny any knowledge of these holes. However, Alyssa admitted that she was the one that dug those holes. The detective asks Alyssa, why do you dig holes? And Alyssa just said, I get bored easily and it's something to do. And I get bored really easily. So, you know, digging holes just something to do. Alyssa also said that she sometimes digs graves because she finds dead animals in the woods and she wants to bury them because that is the respectful thing to do. So that line of questioning didn't really go anywhere so the investigators take a different avenue and that was Alyssa's diary and they had sent it off to the lab to recover the diary entry that was completely scribbled out. Well it came back from the lab they were able to recover that diary entry and oh my god this is so disgusting. Disturbing. Everyone was so shocked about this diary entry and what she had written. I honestly truly cannot believe she wrote this. So I do have the diary entry here. She said, quote, I just fucking killed someone. I strangled them and slit their throat and stabbed them. Now they're dead. I don't know how to feel at the moment. It was amazing. As soon as you get over the oh my God, I can't do this feeling. It's pretty enjoyable. I'm kind of nervous and shaky right now. Okay, I gotta go to church now. Lol. No, no, no. How is that real? How is that diary entry real? And she wrote that on the day that Elizabeth went missing, which is about as close as you can get as a written confession. So the investigators confront Alyssa about her diary. And this is where everything changes because up until this moment, Alyssa has been pretty casual. Her body language is leaning to the side. She's acting nonchalant. Well, as soon as that diary is brought up, she sits up. She's not leaning anymore and she's paying attention. You ever gone through the diary? I just, I looked at it, sorry. Did you know that? No. To make you angry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of your private, private 
own personal thoughts. Now, Alyssa didn't know that they had her diary, so she's panicking. She is. However, Alyssa probably thought in this moment, but that diary entry is scribbled out. There is no way that they'll be able to read it. Now, she's only 15. She doesn't realize forensics and how that works and everything. She doesn't realize that that diary entry can be recovered. So the detectives say to Alyssa, we have your diary. We know what you've written in your diary. Even if it's scribbled out, we know what you've written. If you hold it up to a lot, you can see what was written. And then when that's processed forensically, every word, every stroke is still there. And you can see that Alyssa is just in complete shock. She has no idea what to say. And Alyssa and the detective literally just stare at each other in silence for 70 seconds. I need to know what the truth is. We have your diary. We've read your diary, including the last entry. It is excruciating to watch. The investigator then asked Alyssa, was it an accident? Let's start at the beginning. Is this something that was planned out or was this just an accident? And you can literally see Alyssa in the interview. She is so uncomfortable. She's literally thinking, how can she get out of this? And I think it was in that moment that she thought that she could get away with it if she said that it was an accident. So when the detective asked her, was it an accident? She replied, yes. Okay. Alyssa said that Elizabeth and herself were in the woods. They were playing and Elizabeth fell over and hit her head and died. We decided to go hang out. We were just rest, rest. Take She died. And this is another thing in the interview that I just found so weird. Let's just play devil's advocate here and pretend that it was an accident and that it actually did happen like that. Elizabeth fell over, she hit her head and died. Let's just pretend that that is real for a second. Who the hell describes it like that? If you really are with somebody and they do fall over and they hit their head and they lose their life, you don't describe it like that. You say words like, I was just with them, they fell over and they hit their head and I went over to them. I tried to check them. They weren't breathing. I tried to call for help. I tried to move them. There was blood coming from their head. You know what I mean? You would say other things. You wouldn't say they fell over, they hit the head and then they died. You wouldn't say it so bluntly, so coldly. And at this moment, Karen, who is in the corner, she's listening to everything, the grandmother, she bursts into tears. Did you get home from school at 3.30? <sighs> The detectives then go on and ask what Alyssa did with Elizabeth's body, to which Alyssa said that she burnt the body. So, I burned her body. Which is not true, by the way. And the detectives were not going to let it drop, the diary entry. I mean, in the diary entry, she literally said that she slit her throat, that she stabbed Elizabeth. That is no accident. So the detective confronts Alyssa and says, I think you dug that hole, that grave, earlier on in the day for Elizabeth, which Alyssa agrees. Alyssa admits that she dug the grave for Elizabeth before Elizabeth even went missing. Why did you dig that hole? Was that for her? Why did you dig that hole? You dug it ahead of time, didn't you? I dug that hole, I would say, before you played with her. 
yes. The detective then goes on to say that even if they do find Elizabeth's body and it is burnt, they will still be able to conduct an autopsy on her and find out how she died. It doesn't matter whether the body's burned or not. They'll go through and do an autopsy and they will discover every injury on her body and the cause of death. The detective then goes and asks Alyssa one more crucial question. When they find Elizabeth's body, will her throat be slit? How did she die? Nine-year-old girls don't just die. She fell back. Was her throat cut? And Alyssa says yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Karen, who is still in the room at this point, she completely breaks down. She's crying, she's screaming, she falls to the floor at one point. She says that she's going to pass out and I truly do feel so sorry for Karen in this moment. Alyssa even starts crying at this moment and she says, grandma, grandma, Karen can't take this anymore and Karen actually leaves the room. <laughs> Following Karen leaving the room, the detective goes back in and Alyssa finally gives a full confession. Sadly, this is now when we find out the horrific events and what happened to Elizabeth Alton. So on the 21st of October 2009, which is the day that Elizabeth went missing, it seems that Alyssa had had enough of only fantasizing about murder. She wanted to put her fantasies about hurting somebody, about having power over somebody. She wanted to bring that to reality. It turns out that the diary entries that she would make and the confessions to her friends that she wanted to harm people, it turns out that that wasn't just a cry for help. She actually did want to do that. These were her fantasies. So on the 21st of October, Alyssa had skipped school. However, Alyssa said that she went to hang out with her friends, but this was not true. It turns out that Alyssa had gone into the woods to dig graves. It was later on that afternoon when Alyssa and Emma were outside when Alyssa told Emma to go get her neighborhood friend, Elizabeth out to play. As soon as Elizabeth arrived, this is when Alyssa told her sister to go home. Following this, Alyssa asked Elizabeth if she wanted to hang out, if she wanted to play with her. Now, Elizabeth is only nine years old and Alyssa is 15. To Elizabeth, Alyssa is the cool older sister of her friend. There is also a power dynamic there as well. Elizabeth may have been intimidated, possibly scared of Alyssa. And even if she wanted to say no, she probably wouldn't have. Or maybe she did look up to Alyssa and was flattered that she wanted to play with her. So Elizabeth said, yes, I'll play, I'll hang out. So Elizabeth Alyssa leads Elizabeth deep into the woods. She doesn't tell Elizabeth where they're going or what they're going to do. And suddenly, when Alyssa has Elizabeth in an isolated area, this is when she launches her vicious attack. She starts by hitting Elizabeth multiple times. She slaps her, she punches her, she kicks her. Alyssa is sadly taking pleasure out of inflicting pain on Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who is only nine years old, she's so much smaller then Alyssa, Elizabeth must have been absolutely terrified in this moment. It is really hard to think about what Elizabeth was going through in those final moments. Following this, when Elizabeth is completely beaten down, Alyssa grabs her throat and starts to strangle her. At this point, Elizabeth is now clinging to her life, but sadly, Alyssa isn't finished. Next, Alyssa pulls out a knife, which she had in her pocket that she had brought along for the attack. Alyssa has very clear intentions. She planned this murder. It was premeditated. And with the knife, she then proceeds to stab Elizabeth a total of eight 
times before finally slitting her throat from ear to ear. And tragically, this is when Elizabeth Alton, who was only nine years old, she lost her life, which is just horrific. And it's just like, why? Why? I always ask that question in these cases, why? Following this, Alyssa dragged Elizabeth's body to one of the graves that she had pre-dug earlier on in that day. She put Elizabeth's body in one of the graves before covering her body with dirt with her bare hands. And then afterwards, she started to hear her sister, Emma, in the background calling for help because Emma had fallen into the bushes. That is why Alyssa appeared all of a sudden at the edge of the woods. And then Alyssa went inside, she cleaned up the knife and then she put the knife in the kitchen sink. She then cleaned herself up, went upstairs and wrote in her diary. She wrote in the diary that she had enjoyed the whole experience. She had no remorse. She enjoyed that whole attack. And then she ended the diary entry by saying, okay, gotta go now. I've gotta go to church. Lol. I really can't. I really cannot. Following this confession, detectives asked Alyssa to take them to Elizabeth's body, which Alyssa did. And finally, after two days of searching, Elizabeth Alton was finally found. However, of course, the absolute horrible and tragic news that Elizabeth had lost her life, it made it back to her family and they were absolutely devastated. They really were. And I just can't help but think about her mom, Patty, because Patty never wanted to let her daughter out to play but she was convinced to allow Elizabeth out even though it went against her gut instinct and I can't even imagine what she would have been feeling in that moment. Her whole world must have come crumbling down around her and my heart truly goes out to Elizabeth's family but especially her mom because I just know that she probably blames herself and it truly is not her fault. The only person that is responsible and to blame is Alyssa. Immediately after Alyssa Bustamante was arrested and charged with murder. So following Following the arrest, Alyssa was held in custody. And at this point, over two years would pass. It took a very long time for her case to go to trial. And whilst she was in custody, Alyssa started to self-harm again. And eventually she was put on suicide watch and given emergency psychiatric help. And then by the time we get to January of 2012, Alyssa had just turned 18. The trial finally starts. Now, first, Alyssa was planning on pleading not guilty, even though she's given a confession. It's like, I don't understand why people do that. However, pretty much as soon as the trial started, Alyssa was told that if she took a plea deal, her charge would be reduced from first degree murder to second degree murder. And then she would be given a much lower sentence. And Alyssa, thinking about herself, because obviously she did commit this crime, there is no way that she's going to get out of it, she decides to take the plea deal. Now, as part of the plea deal, Alyssa had to take the stand in the trial and describe exactly what happened. And she went into excruciating detail and she said everything with the coldest and calmest face you have ever seen. And I can't even imagine how painful that would have been for Elizabeth's family who were there in the courtroom and they had to listen to this. Alyssa's defense team tried to portray that Alyssa had had a very difficult dysfunctional upbringing, that her dad Caesar was in prison, that her mom was a drug addict, that she had been abandoned by her parents, she had been through a lot, she had a lot of trauma, which is all True. But the defense tried to say that her upbringing, her circumstances, her environment that she was in led her to murder and that she shouldn't be held fully responsible for her.
our actions. Now, this is where I disagree with the defense on this. Now, I'm a pretty empathetic person. I sympathize in these videos when people have a really traumatic childhood and they've gone through things. I always acknowledge that and I always recognize that. But in the case of Alyssa, Yes, she had trauma. She went through a lot. There is no denying that. However, her grandparents were really good to her. They saved her from that situation. They gave her a loving home. They gave her the love and support that she needed. And that doesn't mean that just because her grandparents were there for her, that doesn't fix everything. However, she was in a loving, caring environment for approximately six years before she murdered. However, the prosecution just laid out all of the evidence and the evidence showed that this was premeditated murder. And it wasn't just premeditated murder, she also showed no remorse. Alyssa then read out a prepared statement in court which said, quote, I know words can never be enough and they can never describe how horribly I feel for all of this. If I could give my life to get her back, I would. I'm sorry. Alyssa then broke down in tears. And it was at this point that Alyssa's grandparents, who were also there during the trial, they couldn't take it anymore. And they got up and left. Alyssa then realizes that she is now truly alone. Following this, Alyssa Bustamante was given life in prison for the second degree murder charge with the possibility of parole after 35 years. And then for another charge of armed criminal action, she was given a sentence of 30 years that is to be served consecutively. In the years that followed, Alyssa has tried to appeal her sentence, which has failed. However, in 2021, a new bill was passed that stated that any minor that receives a life sentence will be given parole after 15 years. And this infuriated Elizabeth's family because that means that Alyssa Bustamante will be up for parole in 2024, which is next year. However, because she also received a second charge and she received 30 years in prison for that charge, unless that second charge is also overturned, it is likely that Alyssa will still be behind bars for a very, very long time. And that was the case of Alyssa Bustamante, which is just absolutely heartbreaking. I hate cases like this. I really do. I mean, I hate all cases, but when it comes to children, I'm always like, why? Like, why? Why is a child? Because let's not beat around the bush here. Alyssa is a child herself. She was only 15 when she committed this murder. Why is a child murdering another child? And then it begs the question, was Alyssa born evil or was she made evil? And there were a lot of things about this case that truly annoyed me to the core. First of all, there was a lot of emphasis on the kind of music she liked to listen to and how the lyrics were suggestive and evil. People express themselves in many different ways and it really does truly annoy me when people say, oh, because you listen to this kind of music, that means you're evil and more likely to kill somebody. No, that is not how it works. I also saw some theories online that it was because of her medication, which is why she killed Elizabeth. And again, I completely disagree with that. So we know that Alyssa was on Prozac. She was on 20 milligrams of Prozac. And then the doctor did increase her dosage to 40 milligrams. And the doctor did say that she could suffer side effects, which included being more volatile, mood swings, and her mood could be lower. She could have more negative thoughts. These are all side effects of Prozac. I have looked into this because I wanted to see, could it be the medication? And there is not one side effect that would suggest someone 
could commit murder, that could be driven to that. Even if Alyssa was experiencing the most severe side effects of Prozac, it still would not lead her to commit murder. At least I don't think that it would. And we know that she had a troubled upbringing. She clearly had her demons, but it went deeper than that. And it just leads me to believe that there is something so dark inside of her. Maybe we don't know everything that happened in her childhood. And something that I also think, this is my theory, Alyssa dug two graves in that woodland area. Now Cass your mind back to Alyssa's bedroom. On one of her walls, she had a drawing of a figure and on that figure, there were slash marks on the head and on the arms. And then next to that figure was the name Emma. And my mind immediately went to, oh my God, she also wanted to kill her sister. Now, I don't know if I'm just blowing that out of proportion. I don't know, but why else would she dig two graves? She was also so mean to her sister. She would actually hit and bully her sister. And I am just so thankful that she didn't also take another innocent life. But finally, I want to end this video focusing on the victim of this video, which is Elizabeth Alton, who was only nine years old. I know I keep saying that, but I just can't believe how young she was. Elizabeth Alton was described as a kind, caring, sweet, and loving young girl. She loved her family very much. She loved spending time with them, especially her mom, who she would always be doing some kind of fun activity with. Elizabeth also just loved living her life. She loved animals, art, music, acting, playing, dress up. She was just a young child living her best life. And it's just so heartbreaking that Elizabeth never got to play the role in the upcoming school play that she was so excited about. And then a week after this absolute tragedy, Elizabeth was laid to rest in a pink casket, which was her favourite colour. And the casket was also carried in a horse-drawn carriage, which was her favourite animal. All of the mourners wore pink to honour Elizabeth. And after the service, pink balloons were released into the sky in her memory. Every Everyone in attendance was absolutely devastated and Elizabeth was taken far, far too soon. She was only nine years old. And that brings us to the end of this absolutely heartbreaking, tragic case. As always, my heart truly, truly goes out to Elizabeth's family. I don't know how you recover from something like this, but I just hope that one day you find peace. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Alyssa Bustamante. There are no updates to this case. So thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios and I'll see you all in the next one.